good morning. Well, for the past year, uh, we have been focusing as a church body on growing in our intimacy with God. Uh, we began the year growing in our awareness of self. Calvin says, knowledge of self leads to knowledge of God. Now, this summer, we look in the great story he is unfolding in our world. We encouraged everyone to read J.I. Packer's book, Knowing God. And we also encouraged you parents to read along with your children in the Jesus storybook. Now, as we enter fall, we are focusing on knowing God together. One way we grow in our intimacy with God is through our weekly community groups. As we come together and break bread and discuss God's word and fellowship with one another, like iron sharpening iron, we sharpen one another. And our hope is as you gather in community groups this fall, you will grow in your intimacy and love for the Father. Another way we grow in our intimacy together is through the worship service. We have this every Sunday, and the hope is as we practice the rhythms of coming together, singing praise to him, hearing the preached word, enjoying the sacraments, that we too will grow in our intimacy with God. Hebrews 10, 24 and 25 says, And let us consider how to stir up one another to love and good works, not neglecting to meet together, as is a habit of some, but encourage one another and all the more as you see the day approaching. And so our hope is this fall that as we focus on community groups, as we gather together corporately, that we will grow in our intimacy with the Lord. And the last practice that I believe helps us deepen our intimacy with God together is prayer. Like any relationship, taking time to talk and listen to God draws us closer to him. But for many of us, prayer is difficult, and we're, we aren't quite sure how to pray. And one of the many things that I love about Jesus is that he understood that, and he saw firsthand the temptations people around him faced when they prayed, and he saw the need to teach his followers how to pray. So this morning, I want to focus on two things from our passage. First, performative prayer, and then secondly, relational prayer. Let me pray for us. Lord, we desperately need you. We've had busy weeks. Some of us have had great weeks. Some of us have had difficult weeks, and we bring all of that with us this morning. We lay it at your feet. And we ask, Holy Spirit, that you would come in these moments. That you would teach us from your word how to pray. Lord, we know as we talk to you that we grow in our love for you and our experience of you. We know that you listen to us. And so, Holy Spirit, give us ears to hear from you this morning on this incredible subject so that we as a church might grow together in our intimacy with you. 
And we pray this in the powerful name of Jesus. Amen. So I want to encourage you to open to Matthew 6. You can open your Bible app or in your Bible. And the first thing that I want us to consider is performative prayer. Now, one of the idols that we are all susceptible to is seeking the approval of others. I was talking with a friend several weeks ago, and um, he said to me, I don't care whether or not people connect with me. All I care about is whether or not they praise me. And I kind of was like, okay, that's a great uh, attitude. But it was the truth. What he was seeking more than anything is the approval of others. And so often we seek praise from others. Be it how we perform at work, at school, in athletics, at home. And this is also true when it comes to religious practices. In Matthew 6, verse 1, Jesus says this. Beware of practicing your righteousness before other people in order to be seen by them. For then you will have no reward from your Father who is in heaven. Jesus is beginning chapter 6 to say the temptation that we all face when we practice prayer and giving and fasting is to seek man's approval. And when we do that, we receive our reward if we get man's approval, and we forfeit the reward that God gives us. Now, God is not going to give us this prize. The reward that we get when we say no to the idol of approval is the presence of God, intimacy with him. And in chapter 6, Jesus is saying, I want you not to focus on performing for others when you pray, but instead focus on me. Look at verse 5. He says, don't pray like the hypocrites. Now the word hypocrite in the ancient Near East literally meant a mask, a mask that actors and actresses would wear so when they were doing a play. Jesus co-opted that term And he now refers to the scribes and Pharisees as hypocrites, those who wear a mask, because they were known for their duplicitous nature. He says, do not pray like them, for they love to stand and pray in the synagogues. Now, again, in the ancient Near East, they prayed audibly. They didn't pray quietly, so they were standing, doing the things that They were called to do, but what he then goes on to say that their motive, their motive for praying in public wasn't to deepen their relationship with God. It was so that they might be seen by others. Their prayer was a performance for others. And Jesus warns us against that. And then if you look in verse 7, he goes on and he says, Jesus says, Don't pray like the Gentiles, the religious outsiders. The Gentiles were categorically all of those that did not profess faith in Yahweh. And they often practiced polytheism. They were known for using many different words and sounds when praying to their God. There's a great scene in 1 Kings chapter 18. And uh, Elijah 
had gathered, and there were 450 prophets of Baal. And he, Ahab was like, who is the true God? And so Elijah says, you kill a, a, a calf, I'll kill a calf. We'll put them on separate altar, altars. And then you come in and you pray and ask God to bring fire. And whosoever God brings the fire is the true God. And the 450 bell prophets, they began to sing and dance and babble for hours and hours and hours and hours. But no fire came down. And then Elijah says, step aside. He says, pour water all over the altar. Cover it so it's just drenching. And then he prayed a simple prayer, asking God to bring down fire. And what happened? The fire of God came, and it not only burned the burnt offering, it destroyed the whole altar. Jesus says, do not pray like the Gentiles, who heap up empty phrases for show, so that they might find man's approval. The Jesus storybook says, they really weren't praying so much as just showing off. They used lots of special words that were so clever, no one understood what they meant. I remember when I became a Christian at 16, I had never experienced prayer, and I had heard as I sat through Sunday school people praying, and everything in me was more concerned about my youth group liking me than God hearing me. And I would babble on and on and on and on, and I would grab words. And I remember Sarah grabbing me and pulling me aside one day and said, Todd, who, who were you praying to or for or what? Because you're just going on and on and on. And I was like, well, I kind of want y'all's approval. And she was like, that's not what prayer is about. It's ultimately about praying to the audience of one. And that is our God. And so, Jesus, he warns us, when we pray, don't perform. Don't do it in a way that you're seeking the approval of others. And the beauty of that is when we repent of that, it gives us such freedom. Because it doesn't matter who's hearing us around us. What matters is knowing that God hears you. And so the first thing that we see in this passage is really how not to pray, performative prayer. But Jesus doesn't stop there. He says, I'm going to show you how to pray. And that brings us to the second point this morning, and that is relational prayer. The thing I love the most as we're walking through the greatest story is if you notice, it's all about relationships. First, the relationship between God the Father, God the Son, and God the Spirit. And then, they decided together, God the Father, the Son, and Spirit, to create humans. And they invited us to be in relationship with them. They invited us into the sacred romance. We serve a God who desires intimacy with you. And one means to intimacy is prayer. Prayer is a relational practice. Prayer is a relational practice. In verse 9, 
Jesus says it all begins with understanding who you are and who you are talking to. When you pray, pray to God knowing that he is your Abba Father. God is your Papa. And you believe even willing to give up his life for you. In Matthew chapter 7, verses 9 through 11, Jesus asks, Which of you, if your son asks for bread, do you give him a stone? Or if he asks for a fish, you give him a snake? If you then, though you are evil, know how to give good gifts to your children, how much more will your Father in heaven give good gifts to those who ask him? Jesus says when we pray, we pray to our dad who knows us, who created us, and who desperately loves us. Now, I want to pause here for a minute. Because for some of us, when we think about praying to God as our father, that's a difficult concept. Because our earthly fathers have wounded us deeply. And therefore, when we think about praying to God as our father, as our daddy, there's, there's ambivalence in us. Part of us wants to do it, and then the other part of us is resistant and doesn't want to do it. Pain. I sit with people all the time who tell me it is so difficult for them to think of God as a father because of the experience that they had growing up. And I just want to acknowledge that difficulty as we talk about relational prayer because it might be an obstacle, but you, you can't go around the obstacle. If you want to experience healing, you need to give yourself permission to go through it, to grieve what your earthly dad didn't give to you, to name it. And maybe some of us need to invite a counselor or a dear friend to walk alongside of us and to hear our story, to help us grieve the loss and to forgive our earthly fathers. And in so doing, the hope is that, that we rehabilitate the idea of father. And so when we pray this relational prayer and we call out to God the Father, we can call out with fresh new hearts, leaving the wounds and baggage behind. And the beautiful thing about God is he is so patient. He waits on us to heal because his hope is that we will know him as our daddy, a good and perfect father. A father that we can pray with the safety and security and surety of a son or daughter. Praying to our father in heaven. And so Jesus says when we pray, we pray knowing that relationally we are connected to our heavenly father. We belong to him. We are his beloved sons and daughters. And then he moves on to say, when we pray, we revere him. Hallowed be your name. Jack, and this is us, has been held up as this incredible father, and he was. He has these three very unique 
children. And he loves them with warmth and kindness. He's available to them. And when he messes up, he apologizes to him. Jesus says, when you pray, think about that kind of father. Think about a father who is long-suffering, who is forgiving, who is caring, who knows everything about you and still wants to move toward you. Revere him. Lift up his name. He is El Shaddai, God Almighty. He's El Roy, the God who sees you. He is Jehovah Rapha, the God who heals. Yahweh, I am who I am. God's name is above every name. And so when we pray to him, we pray to a father that is perfect. We revere him. And because he's perfect and good, and we revere him, we know that we can then bring our petitions to him. And Jesus encourages us to bring four petitions to him when we pray. And the first is, your kingdom come. Notice the present tense. Your kingdom come. Already here, already spreading. Like yeast and dough, Jesus' kingdom has come to the earth. His rescue plan is not going to be enacted in the future. His rescue plan is being enacted here and now. And we pray that God's reign will spread in the hearts of men and women and children. We petition him, let your will be done on earth as it is in heaven. The flourishing that already exists in heaven, bring that flourishing here. God, Have your way in us. We want you to establish your purposes and complete your great restoration project. And so Jesus says, when we pray, pray that his kingdom will come, that his will will be done as in earth as it is in heaven. Secondly, he says, petition your heavenly father. Give us this day our daily bread. Jesus says, ask your Father to meet every need that you have. There's no need that is too small for him. There's no need that's inconsequential to him. Every need that you have, he wants you to tell him about it, to ask him for it. And again, I don't know about you, but I have a very difficult time being needy. Because that means I have to be out of control. That means I have to be vulnerable. But Jesus is saying, pray to your Father. Petition Him. Ask Him to give you this day your daily bread. And I'm sure as He was thinking about this, Jesus was remembering how how God provided manna daily for the Israelites as they were in the wilderness. And so we too are called to bring our needs before him. When I was in seminary, I lived off of $900 a month. And I know that probably sounds like a lot to some, but not much to to many and definitely not much to me at the time. And I was on a very, very tight budget. But like anybody, there was unexpected things that would pop up from um, here and now. And one of those, I remember driving 
and my tire went flat. I didn't have enough money to buy a new tire. And one time I was playing basketball, sprained my ankle, didn't have enough money to go to the doctor because I didn't have insurance. But every time something like that happened over the course of those five years, I would pray. And I would simply ask God, God, I need money so I can go to the doctor. I need money so that I can fix my tire. And I can't tell you how many times we had these mailboxes in our uh, seminary, in the big kind of room where we gathered. I would go to my mailbox. There would be an envelope full of cash, and that cash was just the amount that I needed to fix the tire or to go to the doctor. Or I would go to my mailbox, and I'd receive a card from one of my supporters And they say, hey, God put me on your heart, and I just wanted to write this check for you, a little extra for this month. God provides for us. He provides money for us. He provides food for us. He provides life for us. He provides for every need that you have. And so Jesus says, when you pray to him, don't just pray thy kingdom come. Pray and ask him to give you your daily bread. The third petition that Jesus says that we are to pray, we are to pray to forgive our debts as we also have forgiven our debtors. The heart of God's kingdom and rescue plan is repaired relationships. Bitterness And hate block our relationships with God and with others. Forgiveness is the healing balm that restores our relationship with God and with others. And Jesus is saying, when you pray, I know that you are fallen people. I know this side of heaven, there's still the influence of sin. When you pray, ask God to forgive you your debts. And as you receive that forgiveness, I know as you live and interact with one another, you're going to hurt one another. And so there's going to be those that are indebted to you. Pray and offer forgiveness to those who have hurt you. In verses 14 and 15, we see that forgiveness, it must flow both ways in order for true restoration to occur The divine and human relationships, they're intertwined. Jesus says, if you forgive others their trespasses, your heavenly Father will also forgive you. But if you do not forgive others their trespasses, neither will your Father forgive your trespasses. I remember reading that for years and thinking, oh my gosh, that sounds so conditional. And so if I don't forgive others, Jesus isn't going to forgive me. And that's not at all what he's saying here. His forgiveness of us is not conditional in any way, shape, or form. What he's saying here is that when we are forgiven by Christ, we cannot help but forgive others. Those who are forgiven much, forgive much. Forgiveness flows both ways. If you've opened the window to the kingdom of God, you can't close people off. Jesus, in the parable of the unforgiving servant, a king, he forgives a million-dollar debt. 
but he refuses to forgive a man a thousand dollar debt. Jesus says, this is not my kingdom. Jesus calls us back to restore the garden where we walked hand in hand with God and with others. And forgiveness is necessary for the restoration of the garden. The restoration of our relationship with God and the restoration of our relationship with one another. And so Jesus calls us that when we pray, we need to pray for forgiveness of our debts and our debtors. So that in the end, we might stand hand in hand as his kingdom continues to grow and to come on this earth. And in, in our current atmosphere, I can't think of a greater way to testify that we believe that his kingdom has come. That we believe that we have a heavenly father, uh, Abba, who loves us and cares for us. There's not a better way to demonstrate that than when we are hurt, when there is division, we move into that place and offer forgiveness. That will be the healing balm as we head into this political season and the possibility of everybody going to their tribes and people getting more and more divided. I hope we as a church say, no, we're not doing that. We're not Republican. We're not Democrat. We are gospel-believing people. And as gospel-believing people, we want to be peacemakers. We want to forgive just as Christ has forgiven us. And when we do that, we will be the healing bomb and hopefully help bring unity so that this political season won't be like the last one that caused so much division. And so Jesus says, when we pray, we pray knowing that we're praying to the Father. We revere him. We think of him and all of his goodness and his perfection. We adore him. And then we bring petitions to him. First, your kingdom come. Secondly, give us this day our daily bread. Thirdly, forgive us our debts as we forgive our debtors. And fourth and lastly, and lead us not into temptation, but deliver us from evil. Now, I know as you think about this and as you read this, you're thinking, I didn't think God tempted us. Why is Jesus saying, and lead us not into temptation? When Jesus is praying this, he's not talking about temptation to sin. What he's talking about is what Jane tells us that we are all going to face. And that's various trials this side of heaven. And these trials, they're not temptation, for God does not tempt us. These trials, they're given to us by God to grow and deepen our faith. Jesus, rooted in relationship with his disciples, he knew what was ahead of them. He knew the persecution that they would face. He knew the trials that they would endure. These would be used by God to grow and strengthen them. Yet what we see here is a loving, empathetic heart of our Savior. As he says, it's okay. I want you to pray to your Father. And ask him, if possible, will you let this trial pass so that we don't have to face that suffering in the refiner's fire? 
So often we think that God is not concerned with our happiness. But one of the things that I've enjoyed the most as I've been reading through the Jesus storybook is often throughout the author brings us back to the, the heart that God wants us to experience happiness. He's not the Grinch. He's our father. And as you as parents, what parents don't want their children to be happy? In the same way, God wants us to be happy. And so Jesus says it's okay to pray and to ask him to allow the trials to pass so that we might not suffer, that we might, not, that we might grow in a different way, and to deliver us from evil. I love how the Jesus Storybook concludes this whole section on how to pray. She says this, You see, Jesus was showing people that God would always love them with a never stopping, never giving up, unbreaking, always and forever love. So they do not need to hide anymore or be afraid or ashamed. They could stop running away from God, and they could run to him instead as a little child runs to her daddy's arms. God's great rescue plan is about the restoration of our relationship with him and the renewal of all things. Prayer is a conduit of building intimacy with God. And if we here at Hope Chapel are going to grow in our intimacy with him, one means of that is for us to pray to him daily. To pour out our hearts to him, to talk to him. Whether you're walking, whether you're in the car, whether you're at home, whether you're at work, it's just to gently pull aside and just begin to tell him, Hey God, hey Daddy. I want your kingdom to come in my office today. I want your kingdom to grow in my school. I want your will to be done. I want to see my friends come to know you and surrender their hearts to you. You are a God that is worthy of praise. Your name is great. And God, I have this need today. I bruised my heel playing pickleball a week and a half ago, which is true. And so this morning as I walked and thought through this passage, I was like, Jesus, please heal my heel. He cares about my heel. He cares about your needs. And so you can pray to him and ask him, Lord, heal my heel. And God, you know, I was really hurt by my friend, my classmate. He said some horrible things to me. But I've hurt you. I've said horrible things to you. And, and please forgive me for doing that. And will you also help me to forgive my friend? And Lord, please don't allow a trial to come today. If you can allow it to pass, if I can grow in any other way, please help me to grow in my relationship with you another way than through suffering today. Let that trial pass and protect me from the evil one. Our Father wants to hear from you. Our Father desires to know you. 
And I hope and pray that we love to pray for you. I hope there's so many of you running back there that they're swamped and pray for you. Or once a month when we offer healing prayer for physical, emotional, and spiritual needs. That this room over here is overflowing with you. Because we know the power of prayer. And that our Abba Father listens to us and desperately wants to heal whatever is going on in your heart. Spiritually, physically, and emotionally. I'm so thankful for Wendy Morrow years ago when we as a little church struggled to pray. She stepped up and said, I'm going to start a prayer ministry. And that little seed has grown over these last 13 and a half years. And I hope when I retire from this place and then I hear about Hope Chapel, I hope one of the things that I hear most about Hope Chapel is that you were a praying church and a praying people, knowing that in and of ourselves we cannot do anything, but we have the Holy Spirit who dwells within us, and through His power and His strength, as we ask Him, as we intercede on behalf of our city and one another, His kingdom will come. And so let that be so. Go for a walk today. Talk to your Abba Father. There's probably nothing more that he would love that brings a smile to his face to hear from each of you. Amen.